0: If you ask people what sort of God they want, you will get dizzying answers. They will want a God like Caesar. Ask them what sort of God they need, and perhaps you might find honest people saying, We have no need of a God, just let us be. Jesus was not who many people wanted. But he was the God that all people needed, whether they believed it or not. He came not as one highly exalted, but he came to them lowly, without form or majesty, that we should adore him. Pilate saw him as just a man, a figure king for the Jews. But the Father in heaven knew him as his one and only begotten Son, Christ did not exalt himself to be made our high priest, but he was appointed so by the Father who said, You are my beloved Son. He anointed Christ by the descending of the Holy Spirit that came to rest upon him in the river Jordan at his baptism. The Father set his beloved Son apart to be a priest, a high priest from the order of Melchizedek, a priest who in the Bible has no beginning and no end, but to whom even Abraham gave a tenth of all his possessions from the spoils of war. Jesus is our eternal high priest, who has been given to enter into the holy places by the means of his own innocent blood, once for all, to offer himself as a perfect sacrifice. You see, dear Christians gathered today, It does not matter, regardless of who or what people might consider a God. There is but one true God, who is the Lord of the universe, who has made mankind and fashioned them from clay, who cared for each and every one of you in your mother's womb as he knit you together. This one true God is the one who also teaches us, what is true faith, what true obedience looks like. He teaches us what is good, what is right, what is true. Christ Jesus exemplified true faith in his life, true obedience to the will of the Father. He discerned perfectly what was truly good and what was truly right. He distinguished it from the forms of all evil. It was because he was perfectly obedient to the Father that he became the worthy sacrifice to be offered up to atone for the sins of the whole world. Even the civil authority recognizes his innocence. As Pontius Pilate said, I find no guilt in him, and there was none to be found. He was the sinless Son of God. There was no guilt to find in him, but certainly there is much guilt to be found in us, and presently in our nation. The scriptures were once held up here as at the very least a moral standing, a ground that we could all find as common. But even now, such a simple reading of the Bible has given over to the way of heathenism, and so we watch our morals in this nation crumble, as many here gathered in this great country have become dull in hearing, as the book of Hebrews presumes. It is so, for as long as the gospel has resided in this country, you would consider that each of us should be among great teachers of the faith, And we ourselves be the greatest of teachers to our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, and the like. And yet, though our nation is said to thrive, they are far away from the Bible. They are far away from what is true and right, good and holy. The more advanced the civilization we become, the less the world considers a need for the God who has saved them. And so truly there is even a greater need for someone to teach us again the mere basic oracles of God, the very spiritual milk. Without much effort, one can find departure from the scriptural teachings of what God calls evil from even our so-called Christian churches, Christian universities, institutions, for they have no longer the discernment the powers of discernment which come by way of constant practice in distinguishing what is good from what is evil based on the word of God. Many have thrown their lot in with the world and have exchanged truth for a lie in hopes of money and power and prestige. They have gone after what is popular, and so they have lost sight of what is true and inerrant. They have given their Savior away. You and I must first drink the spiritual milk. We must walk again as a child, learning and consuming the contents of the Holy Bible, making it our sustenance. For you cannot presume to know what is good and holy. You must learn such things from the one who he himself is good and holy, and who has suffered the weight of God's wrath over all things unholy. For only then can you practice yourself discerning good from evil. Only then will you know and recognize truth from error. Such is the reason for gathering this most holy of days, the day of our Lord's crucifixion. For our hearts are not without guilt, for we are not always practicing the best discernment between what is good and evil. And even when we are, when we are fighting against the sinful flesh, when the Spirit of God himself is fighting for us, still we stumble and we fall. And for that reason, our King, our God, was crucified. Without this body on the cross, there is no salvation for us. If you do not want that God, or you believe that this is not the God that you need, then Satan will gladly let you shop around for the God of your own making. But if you remain here, In true faith and draw near to the cross of which held our Savior, that will be the cross which God will use to overcome in you all sinful desires. And by Jesus' stripes, you will be healed. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. And after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. God, our Lord, slays by the word of his mouth. He does not point man to his works for salvation, but teaches that through his own act of mercy toward man, we have salvation. He teaches that through his act of mercy toward man, We have peace to live with one another. God desires mercy and not sacrifice. He desires a heart which is rent because of sin and who confesses that they have fallen so that he may bind them up again. He desires a heart that loves his commandments and meditates on his holy words. Yet we know that our worship and our prayers have faltered. We have not let God's love have its way with us, and so our love for others has failed. This is why the cross cannot scandalize us. This is why we cannot spurn the work of Christ in his suffering and in his death. For our faithfulness is ever fleeting like the morning dew, which is there and with the sun quickly dries up and is gone. At the thought of having to suffer or sacrifice for God, to uphold his very word, we at the very least might question our confession. But what of Christ's faithfulness? They came at Jesus with crowds carrying torches and clubs as if he was a robber or a murderer And into these hands of the violent men he placed himself, allowing them to bind his hands and lead him off. He knew what lay ahead of him. He would be sacrificed on an altar of the cross. This is why he spent the night in bloody sweat and agony. But he did not spend the night alone. He was in communion with the Father and with the Father's will, who did not allow this cup to pass from him. Jesus does this willingly, knowing that he will even be judged by the unbelievers like Pontius Pilate. And again, willingly, he goes, that though his hands are physically bound, he knows what is yet to come, that he would be bound by hand and feet into the greater cords of death and hell, and they would completely entangle him. He willingly let death bind his hands and feet when his nails were pierced when the nails pierced his flesh and the spear pierced his side for he wished to break them to shatter death's prison hold upon us that is why he came for that purpose he was born Jesus was faithful through it all through the hands of wicked men Christ's flesh was torn from him with every lash. They struck him time and time again, and through it all he remained silent like a lamb being led to slaughter. It was before the high priest that they mocked and derided Jesus. They asked him, prophesy to us, who struck you who did strike him? Truly it mattered not, for it was the Father ultimately who struck him in open shame. For anything For not not for anything which he had himself done, but because he takes the sins which we have done, he receives the Father's strike. And the greatest strike of all which we speak of is when the Father turned his face from the Son and let him suffer hell and death in our place. And it was truly the death and hell that we deserve. As Jesus himself has spoken, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are the things which defile a person. These are the very sins which defile us. These are the sins which Christ has taken. There is none who can claim to be without guilt. I ask you to consider again that text which was read to you from the Old Testament. Did any child, firstborn child, escape death in the land of Egypt when the angel of death came? Yes, there were some. The angel of death passed over those who had the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. In the homes of everyone else who did not have the Passover lamb, there were loud cries and wailing, for they had lost a most precious life. So it shall be on the day of our Lord's coming for all those who have refused the blood of God's holy lamb. Their precious life will they forfeit. And precious it is. For God has put the value on every person's life. Not only is he the one who made the body in his image, but he is also the one who breathed into it life and who by the sacrifice of Christ has redeemed it. Your Passover lamb is slain and it is his blood that makes its way over the doorpost of your heart. Thank the Lord that to us has been given the blessed sacrament of baptism. It is as the hymn we sing Christ our Lord to Jordan Cain. The eye alone plain water sees as from man's hand it floweth. In spirit all those who believe the power of Christ's blood knoweth, and see therein a crimson flood died with the blood of Jesus, which from sins inherited from fallen Adam frees us and from our own wrongdoings. God does not just put a topical cure on your sins. He goes to the source of them. He cleanses you from the inside out. He purifies the soul from sin. And by his words, he sanctifies our bodies to be a holy dwelling place for his spirit. Again, your Passover lamb is slain, and it is his blood that makes its way over the doorposts of your heart. Thanks be to God that he has given us the blessed sacrament of the altar. Jesus, as a last will and testament, gave you his true body as food and his true blood as drink. And this was a token and pledge of his love for you. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my Father has given me? And the cup which Jesus drank was a bitter and tasted of sin and death. But it is not so for the cup that the Father gives you to drink. That cup is filled with the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. It is only to be bitter judgment on those who take it unworthily who refuse to examine their hearts and repent of their sins. Grant us, Lord, repentant hearts to receive thy goodness and to mark our hearts with the blood of your only unblemished lamb, Jesus Christ. Since God has given you full pardon and peace, you should not fear. You should not fear, though death be ever near you, for it is God who has promised to heal you, to bind you up, to revive your hurting soul, and he most surely will raise you up in the new and holy life. He, the Father, who has begun this good work in you, will bring it to completion on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who has called you is faithful. He will surely do it. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It was in dreariness and bitter agony of the cross and death of Jesus that a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple for fear of the Jews, it is said, took courage, and went to ask Pilate for the body of Jesus. What controlled that man who had otherwise refused to take such risk while Jesus openly preached in the temple to now put his family, his livelihood, his reputation all on the line? It was nothing other than the love of Christ. For even if he did not fully understand the fullness of the crucifixion of Jesus, It was the very death of Jesus that brought him out of the shadows of his fear. It was the exemplary sacrifice of Christ and his most wondrous passion, which made a man no longer live for himself in fear, but live for the one who for his sake died. Christ's passion not only changed the hearts of Joseph of Arimathea, but it was also his disciples who were sent out as apostles, and they chose to know nothing among those that they preached to except for Christ and Christ crucified. Most all of them died in 40 years, some much, much less, never denying the great accomplishment which Christ obtained by his precious dying, Every one of these apostles suffered persecution. They were threatened, beaten, stoned, flogged, arrested, put in prison, exiled, and murdered. How did they have courage to risk their life? How did they have the strength to deny themselves and take up a cross much like the one of their Savior? and bear the sufferings of this world. I tell you, it was nothing else other than for the love of Christ. The love of Christ controlled them, not just any love. And it wasn't just a love that they knew meant that their sins were atoned for, but it was the love of Christ that he, one, has died for all. And therefore, all have died, that all may have the gift of forgiveness, life, and salvation. This immeasurable love of God toward the world is what completely changes our hearts. When Jesus, in his final moment, speaks from the cross, Father, forgive them. It was a prayer for all those who had derided him. He doesn't do what many men would do, which is wish death upon his enemies. He took death into himself. He consumed death in order to overcome it with life. And rather than ask that the Lord kill all who stood before him, he asked that those who had hated him be fully pardoned and acquitted of all their guilt. Father, forgive them not just for the Roman crucifiers who divided his garments and cast lots for his clothes, but he pours out his undeserving love for the high priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees, the lawyers who constantly sought to trap him in his words, who accused him of having a demon, who puffed themselves up with pride together and conspired to murder him. Those who would not receive him As their blessed King. Jesus was praying for Pontius Pilate, for Herod, for all those in Jerusalem working under the hand of an unjust government who agreed that this innocent man not deserving of death should yet be delivered over to the most horrific of deaths. Jesus used his last breaths to ask the Father to show his mercy on the bloodthirsty crowds who, having been persuaded, shouted loudly for his death, shaking their heads and taunting him, saying, "Let his blood be on us and on our children." And so it was. His blood was spilled. The blood that covers us, the blood that covers our children. For our peace, the Lord went to the cross. From the one tree in the garden came death to all the world, a death that we have seen, a death that we know. But yet through this new and yet more glorious tree, Christ offers himself as a sacrifice for the sins of all the world in every time and every place, and he prays for their life. Every man, woman, and child who would one day be conceived and born in sin, who would despise and reject him, it mattered not. It is finished, our Lord says. This is the love that controlled Joseph of Arimathea. This is the love that controlled his apostles This is the love we must ask God to make control our hearts and our minds, our bodies, our words, our actions to all men in this world, not just those around us. So I ask you, what now controls you? What controls you, dear Christians? What binds you yet to this world? What have you placed in the way of Christ's love controlling you? Where are you still tied? What is tempting you to still let your own loves and wants be the driver in your life? Controlling where you go and where you don't go deciding what your priorities are and what they are not. You have heard that it is said, anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away and the new has come. That isn't anything which you have accomplished in yourself. That is what God has accomplished in you. He has taken what was old, what was controlled by sin and passions of the flesh, and he has made you new. He has instilled in your heart the love of his Son, Jesus Christ. He has given you what he demands. He has given you faith. And it is that faith which God has given you that receives the blessings of baptism, that receives the blessed sacrament of the forgiveness of sins. You are meant to be the new creation. The old has passed away. You are meant to be the people of the cross. And so you are. You are the ones who let the love of God control their hearts and their desires. And so you see the fruits of God's love as it pours out to those those whom we call our neighbors. God has individually marked each one of you in your baptism with the cross of Christ. He has placed on you the salvation which was won by Jesus. And that is why you hear the apostles and every minister in Christ. When one has fallen into sin, they say, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. That is our hope in our life. Because we see what great sacrifice Jesus made. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is the new creation. That you are before God, holy and righteous, pure and blameless in his sight. You are covered with the white robe of Christ. That is why at the funerals you see us cover the casket with the beautiful pall, to not remind us ever that death has conquered, but that that person was baptized into Christ Jesus and into his crucifixion and so also into his resurrection. That person who has died in the faith is covered in Christ's righteousness. His sins are no more. So take courage as you leave here this day. Be filled with the strength of faith. Join with and continue along with Joseph of Arimathea, with Nicodemus, with all the Marys, with Peter and John and all the disciples, witnesses of the crucifixion and of the resurrection who stopped fearing and believed and did not let their old self rule them any longer. To you has so much been given in the love of Jesus so that you can be filled up to give so much to this world that otherwise would have so little. No longer be afraid of what is to come in this world. There's truly nothing left to fear. God has done away with that. For when you consider that Christ, your Savior, has died on the cross, you see that he has triumphed over everything that the world could throw at him. He has brought not only your redemption, but the redemption of all sins. And so, behold the life-giving cross of the world. For on that cross which hung Jesus has now become the symbol of this world's redemption and the very courage we need to live the new life in Christ's righteousness.